Hi, welcome to the sixth episode of the Customer Support Podcast, and this is your host Sandeep Jain. In this podcast, we invite thought leaders from customer support function from both B two B and B two C companies, so that you can learn about challenges, opportunities, and best practices around setting up a world class support organization. Today's podcast is about B two B customer support, and our guest is. David Rubinstein. David has roughly 10 years of experience in building and managing B2B customer support operations in tech companies like Conduit, Imperva, and Similar Web, focusing on creating an agent-centric customer support experience. Currently, David works at an early stage startup that is trying to productize the approach of rep first and rep experience. And David also happens to be our first international guest. Uh, David is from Israel. So with that, David, I'd like to welcome you to this podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So David, first of all, can you tell our audience what, what you mean by the rep first and rep experience terms? These were kind of new to me. Yes, of course. So my approach, and it's an approach that starts uh, spreading around and people start to speak about it more and more is the approach that if you want to build a good and a great uh, customer support and provide high quality uh, customer service to your customers, you should start with your frontliners, with your team and with your customer support reps. And that means you should focus on hiring and focus on planning the customer support reps experience. Uh, So, If you want to build a great customer service, don't start with the customers, but start with the reps. And if the reps have a good experience, if they are trained well, if they have all the tools, all the knowledge, and all the systems that they need in order to do a good job, then they'll provide a great great customer service and your customers will benefit out of it. I see. So tell me, David, what does it mean? So like every hiring manager says, I want a kick-ass employee. Like you go to LinkedIn, Every manager is saying, I want to kick ass people. I want, I want really smart people. So in the context of customer support, mm-hmm. how, how can hiring managers decide what kind of people to hire? Or maybe yeah. what you're focusing on is the technologies uh, that you can use to enable your agents. So can you give us some specifics on how yeah. to make this really efficient? So I always say, don't look for the... Uh, kick us, uh, don't look for the ninjas, don't look for the, for the <laughs> rock stars. Look for the good people that you as a customer would want to speak with. So when, when I hire and uh, I have a reputation of someone to ha- who hires people that other support managers don't hire, I first of all, I ask a lot of questions to check how well my reps are in interaction, what's their uh, EQ and, and not only IQ, how they are in uh, being empathic and uh, understanding customers. And for me, they need to be, because we're speaking about usually very technical product and uh, tech companies, so they need to be understanding, they need to have a technical orienta- orientation, but it's personality, uh, communication, empathy, and EQ. That's what matters, matters most. Can you give us some specific examples for that? So I, I would imagine, I've never been in customer support myself. 
but yeah. is it just something that you get by just talking to them or are there specific questions that can that can cover these things so there are a few questions that i've uh, adopted through the years so one of the things i ask what do you think are the most important characteristics for someone who works with customers to have and then based on the answers i understand if that someone is more into the EQ side of being, if they say uh, empathy, patience, uh, then I know that that's what they're focused on. And then I tell them, rank yourself uh, within those characteristics because those are the things that I focus on. And another question is, tell me, I, I asked them about an experience that they had as a customer and to tell me a memorable experience and tell me what they thought about the experience and how they score it and then i understand how much they they get the need to be speaking with someone who has the right characteristics and who's able to provide good service that's interesting david in fact your response reminds me uh, back in the day when i was in engineering this is i don't know about like 10 years back uh, when we used to hire for technical leads you know technical leads uh, need to be patient you know when they're working with junior engineers so yeah. I remember being in an interview where, where what we used to do was we used to rile them up, right? So this is a technical lead, right? So a person who has like 10 years of experience. So we, we used to go into those interviews and we were to ask like very basic questions to them. So they might think that we are kind of stupid <laughs> and based on their response and yeah. we try to irritate them basically. <laughs> and we'll see that what is the temperature? That's, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and some people took it some people were That's... and uh, some people were not they were like are you kidding me i'm not going to i'm not going to work for your company at all you... and uh, yeah. it was a litmus test so to speak for us uh, but anyways yeah. as just a reminder for of... customer service i think that's the the most important thing how people are, are with people how are they being dignified and respectable to the people they're speaking with. And I think that's the most important thing. Absolutely. And uh, I guess I'm reminded of another anecdote I'll just quickly share with the audience and, and yourself as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in the technology jobs and product management jobs, you know, we, we are used to working with a certain kind of people. And yeah. back in the day, I wanted to get that empathy myself. So one thing I tried doing was, I tried taking up a bartending course. And my sense was that, you know, when you are behind the bar serving people, you have to serve any kind of person who's asking you for a drink. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I always give extra points to people I interview if they had experience in bartending uh, as a waitress, anything that is service for me, that's like usually gives additional points. So, so that's really good point. That's exactly what I'm looking for. But I learned how to order my drinks, by the way. I didn't know how to make the drinks, but at least I yeah. know. <laughs> back to customer support. Yeah. So, David, you are from Israel, right? So mm -hmm. most of my, actually all of my previous guests have been from US and US-centric companies. Do you see a difference in how, is, is there a geographical context to support? Or do customers expect a different kind of support based on where the customers or the company is based off. And maybe this question doesn't have any, any feed, but I thought I'll ask you just because you're yeah. 
different part of the world? So I think in terms of customers, there are some cultural differences that you have to keep in mind when speaking with customers from Asia, customers from the US, customers from Europe. Uh, so I think in terms of customers, but it's easy to train your uh, support agents on these very small uh, differences that, that you need to take uh, account of. In terms of the reps, I think you can find great reps anywhere in the world that can provide really great service to anyone in the world. So, so customers, they, they do differ a bit, but in terms of reps, any, any person with the right characteristics and the right motivation can, be great, uh, can provide great customer service to anyone in the world. Got it. So what you're saying essentially is there is no specific geographical context to support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, got it. And David, currently the company that you work for, you guys are in the business of customer support yourself, based on what I understand. So the what we're trying to do at Prepsai, we're trying to take exactly that approach of rep experience and rep first, and we're trying to create a product out of it that will help both customer support managers and customer support agents to provide great customer support. Got it. And does this in any way affect what you do? Because you're doing customer support within a customer support company. One of the things that I love about the role is that I'm speaking with customer support managers a lot and I'm speaking about customer support, which I, I really like. Got it. And so that our audience understands uh, the context better, can you tell us a little bit about your current support organization? Uh, by that, what I mean is, uh, how is your organization structured? Is there a separate customer success and customer support? Uh, who your customers are? Are they big enterprises? Are they, they small businesses, small medium businesses? So our customers are uh, mostly big enterprises. And because of a lot of uh, big enterprises, outsource their uh, customer support our support and customer success first of all I'm, I'm a strong believer in combining customer support and customer success and they have to work together because in b2b and specifically enterprise when you're managing the relationship it has to be something that works together and your customer support needs to know your customers at least as good as your customer success and Everybody walk together, understand, have a mutual goal, and everyone tries to get to it as best as possible. I see. But there are different people for each role. Like there's one person who's doing customer success. Yeah. There's another for customer support. So it's different people. Usually, I'm, I'm a strong believer in uh, creating the career path and development path. So a lot of times, the customer support are being promoted into customer success and are uh, evolving into customer success if they want so it's it's different people it's different functions but they are part of the same machine that is working on adoption and retention and making sure that the customer effort is minimal and the customer value is maximal understood and what do you mean by customer success i get a different answers when i talk to different people yeah. so i'm going to ask you the same thing as well for me, customer success, which is very similar to, what, to how I look at customer support, is always finding, is 
it's all about values, finding the value that the customer is trying to get out of the product they purchase, and understanding that value, understanding customer expectations, because it's, a lot of it is about what the customer expects, how, how are you able to meet those expectations, exceed those expectations, and find, find the added value. And that's what it's all about. All right. So the reason I asked this question was like in some companies, when you do post sales, there is customer onboarding. Usually that thing is done by customer success teams. And when the customer is starting running with the product, they have issues, they, they file the issues, then customer support comes and you know, looks at that. And then customer success in some companies is responsible for renewal. Like for a SaaS companies, has this customer renewed their subscription or not? Yeah. So is this similar to what uh, you're, how you would think of customer success person doing, like onboarding and renewals? So I think customer success is about, it's definitely about onboarding, which is a very important part in adoption. If you don't onboard customers right, they won't adopt and then they won't renew. So, it's, so onboarding is a very important part of it. It's also a lot of times companies invest a lot in onboarding, but then they forget about adoption. So they onboard correctly. And then they don't follow and they don't see what happens when the customer adopts and uh, tries to use or combine the product in their day-to-day. And then a customer will churn. So I think onboarding, adoption is very important. And I wouldn't say renewal, but I would say retention. So taking the last few months and uh, putting all the effort that the customer would retain and anything that is commercial in terms of contracts, renewals, uh, app app sales, anything that is commercial, I think it's a right practice to separate customer experience from the commercial part, specifically in enterprise. Got it. And I always wondered this question, David, and I'll, I'll ask you this. If the basic goal of a customer success person is to increase that option, does that job entail like calling on the customer saying, how can we help you derive more value from this product? So is it like frequent calling into the customer or? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure if it's calling in or finding other ways to communicate, but it's exactly that. It's always communicating. Either you're getting great value, but we can give you more value or you're not getting enough value. We can, you can get more value. Got it. So David, changing gears a little bit, what is your current support technologies tool stack? So for example, what do you use for contact center? case management, search, customer portal, knowledge management, et cetera? So in, the, in my current company in, and also in the previous companies, I used the Zendesk. I really like how it's easy to uh, customize the Zendesk and get everything that I need. And the fact that I don't need third parties, developers, and I can do most things on my own on Zendesk, uh, it's, it's a huge advantage. So I can change processes and business rules very, very fast and do it almost the same day if I think of a new, a new process or a new tool. And also, when we're talking about the support tool stack, for me, one of the most important, if not the most important thing, is my data and the data analysis tool. So I don't think it's possible to manage the support operation if you don't have data and insights on what's going on in terms of uh, your, your tools, your customer satisfaction score, and everything that is related to data. So 
I use Zendesk Insights, but I also use Google Data Studio to create my dashboards. And, and I think that's, in terms of tools, that's my most important tool. That's my oxygen, my, my, life, my uh, life machine for, uh, for managing my support. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And do you use anything for contact center? No, because we mostly provide uh, email and chat. Zendesk provides me all the channels and, and contact tools that, that I need. Understood. And anything for search, like within your, or do you use Zendesk search? Zendesk. That's one, also one of the advantages of Zendesk, that it really provides most solutions that I need. It has its disadvantages, and you, have, and you do need to tweak a lot of things uh, and create things, but you can do that on your own, and, and I think that's a, that's a very big advantage. Understood. And you talked about chat. So there is a talk about chatbots. Do you have any quick perspective on the chatbots? I think we are very, very early in the development of the chatbot technology. I don't think it's ready yet. I would definitely not use it for a B2B. It doesn't fit the way it is today. And I'm also not a very big fan of chatbots as the technology is today for B2C. I think it still requires a lot of work. It's okay if you only, if your customers only need very, very simple things like getting a specific form and it's okay in uh, distributing uh, knowledge-based articles, but I think the technology is very, very early. And I, I don't think it's ready yet. Got it. And what do you think about, David, uh, customers using sort of mobile interface to support? I think that everything that is related, you, you need to give the customers any channel that is possible. And, and the, the main thing is convenience and customer expect you to be available wherever they are, whenever they are. And they also want you to be available in, in omni channels and they want you to be available for them now, no matter what. So I think mobile, uh, chat and um, messaging, I think messaging like uh, Facebook Messenger and support through WhatsApp is also a very important. So today with, with your Zendesk thing, is it possible? And I don't know if Zendesk supports this or not, whether customers can use, uh, you talked about Facebook chat, WhatsApp. I think about, you know, when I'm using a tool, can I just use text message? Sometimes does it make sense to use a mobile app that the customer or the, the business is providing? Yeah, so Zendesk provides, you can either use a, like a, a messaging, a Facebook messages or a WhatsApp, Zendesk have Zendesk message which allows you to talk to customers on uh, different instant messaging tools. And you can also add the Zendesk mobile SDK, a mobile widget, to, into your, your own uh, mobile app. So customers will be able to contact you through your mobile app and open a Zendesk ticket. Understood. And David, currently, do you build any support tools internally yourself? I know you talked about the data analysis yeah. you do internally but are there anything specific that you're doing to, to build some of the functionality internally? Or so something? all of my dashboards uh, I've, I've built and developed uh, in-house. I'm trying, if uh, Zendesk have a specific tool that I know they invested a lot in, I would use that and I would use that as, as a first option. What you do build by yourself is the tools that are related to your product or service. So usually my backend was and, and the support tools that are within the backend, for example, creating an invoice or doing something that is product related, 
that's developed in-house. But anything that is related to customer communications, I think Zendesk has good enough solutions that might need tweaking and customizing, but you don't need to build those tools yourself. So let me ask you this question, David. Is there something that Zendesk should be doing that they're not doing currently? Because it seems that you're a happy Zendesk customer. And I'm just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think out of the tools that exist out there, it's good enough. I think there are tons of things that they can be doing and should be doing. And I've talked with Zendesk support and Zendesk professional services quite a lot uh, in order to try and get tools and there are some. And you can always find frustration points because they're trying to find the best size fits all and they don't customize everything specifically for my needs. But I think out of the tools out there, I try, I, I worked with uh, Service Cloud, Freshdesk. I think for me, it's it's most customizable tool and the best that there is in terms of usability. It has disadvantages and it has a lot of things that I would want to add, but it's the best uh, that, that I found. Understood. Any examples that come to mind that you think would apply to a wider audience of things that they should be doing and they are not currently doing? One of the things that Zendesk is really, really trying to keep is their own journey of a ticket. So they have ticket types that can't be edited and statuses that it's their own statuses. And, and I think that might be missing on, on some customization that would be more fitable to specific needs. And I think that anything that is related to pushing in and uh, information about the customer from other systems. That's also, for me, it, it feels that it might be missing out connecting to other systems and getting for information from other systems. But I think they are working on that and they are improving. I've been using Zenus, I think, for uh, like 10 years and, and they've improved a lot. It's interesting that you mentioned this because most of the organizations that I speak with, B2B, I would say 10 out of 10, they're using service the sales. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in some cases, enterprises, especially early stage enterprises, I see them using Zendesk because mm. for all the reasons that you just mentioned earlier, but one of the challenges that comes is, well, look, customer information is living in one system, but customer yeah. are living in another. And how do we take uh, Mars, talk to Jupiter or pick your two planets? So. Yeah. So in, in the world of support tools, there's always Zendesk and Salesforce. That's from the support managers that I speak with. That's the biggest dilemma because I'm managing support. My sales is working with Salesforce. So it makes sense that I will work with Service Cloud, but Service Cloud is not customizable enough and it's not easy enough to customize and, and work with for a support manager. And then I try to find a way to integrate Zendesk with Salesforce. And I think in uh, the world of tools for customer support managers, those are the biggest two players. And there's always a dilemma. Should I work with Service Cloud because I work with Salesforce or should I integrate Zendesk into Service Cloud? Most support managers that I work with eventually stay with Zendesk because they say it's too complicated to move into Service Cloud and it doesn't provide enough customization tools, but they also stay with Salesforce in, in terms of their sales. So what they do, they find very creative ways in integrating the two systems because it's very difficult. It's not, it's not easy and it's not ideal the way to integrate Salesforce and Zendesk together. You talked about creative ways of integration. Yeah. 
specify what you mean by that. <laughs> so uh, it's either uh, customizing fields and then using your uh, data team in order to pull data from uh, Salesforce. So one of the conclusions that I came up with and the best practice is to create an internal in-house one source of truth where you pull data from Salesforce from Zendesk uh, and from your own product or other systems that you use, for example, Zora. So you create your uh, data warehouse, which is one source of truth. And then from there, you distribute it to all systems in a customized way. So on Zendesk, you create a customized fields for users and for the organization. And you populate those fields from that one source of truth, which is populated from Salesforce, from Zora, and from your own uh, system. Uh, so so I think that's, as a startup, one should invest in a data warehouse product as well? Uh, I, I don't know if I would say a data warehouse, but some sort of a database that is able to pull data from other systems and have one place of data, and then that data would go to all other systems. Got it. And David, what are the metrics that you use in your organization today? And on a related note, do you measure NPS score? Uh, it's funny about NPS. NPS is also, it's always a controversy. <laughs> I'm, I'm a very strong believer, and I always say that, that I try to focus on the qualitative metrics as much as possible and avoid focusing on the quantitative metrics that most support organizations use, which, which are ticket volume and uh, time to first response and other like to focus on the quantity because I think it, it creates a point where both your customer support agents are very much stressed in order to answer as many tickets on, or answer as, as fast as possible. And that has a very strong impact on the quality of service and the attention that they give each and every customer. So my metrics are CSAT and uh, one-touch resolutions. So it doesn't matter for me how much it takes to answer something, but if they are able to solve a ticket in one touch, that means they gave it, in, it, it attention. So my three biggest metrics are CSAT, uh, one touch resolution, and a metric that is called request wait time, which is provided by, uh, by Zendesk, which measures the time, not the time that it took the agent to answer, but the time that the requester actually waited. So, if, if I take requester wait time, combine it with CSAT and one-touch resolutions, that gives me an overall look, but I measure myself on requester wait time and I measure my reps on CSAT because I always tell my reps, don't think about the queue. The queue is my problem. It's not your problem. You focus on quality and customer satisfaction and I'll manage the queue and making sure that we are able to keep our uh, SLA. That's a very interesting insight, and I'm hearing this for the first time. And uh, when you're talking about it, it kind of makes sense that uh, as, as a customer support leader, you are saying that you worry about the queue. That sounds like a big relief to an agent. Yeah, uh, it definitely is. And then they know that their focus is answering right, answering good, giving the customer that added value, and making sure that all his questions are answered, and not worrying about, I have 10 tickets in the queue. I have to answer as fast as possible. I have to answer as many tickets as possible. And that usually creates people doing copy-paste, copy-paste of templates, and that degrades the quality of service. Fair. And tell me the good and bad about the NPS score. 
I think that, by the way, about all surveys, I use CSAT, but I also have a lot of questions and uh, I always am concerned about the quality of what I get from CSAT and it's also about NPS. Anything that is a survey that the customer needs to answer and they know that they answer and they, they're not sure if they're answering about the service, about the product, it, it will never be completely valid in, for me as a customer support manager to measure how good I'm doing in providing a service. Because I don't know what the customer is going for at the minute that is answering the survey. And I think specifically about NPS, the fact that it's a lot of times sent through the product itself. I know as a user that a lot of times I just answer the NPS and I don't really think about what it would mean. You ask me, would I recommend this product to my friends? I would sometimes put seven, eight, 10, three, but that doesn't mean I'll actually recommend it. I just want to get the survey out of my way. And that's my biggest uh, concern with NPS is that I'm not sure how valid it is in measuring, specifically in measuring customer support and the quality of, of customer support. It's, it's very interesting, David, you mentioned this because before I learned what NPS was, of course I had seen these surveys myself. And when I saw this zero to 10 or response, I was like, are you kidding me? You're still asking me to slot you in like 10? Yeah zero to 10, isn't there like good, bad, excellent? And then I, of yeah. course, learned what NPS was and what is the significance of these, uh, these 10 or different numbers and how, how you shift from seven to eight and the entire NPS is gonna change. And yeah. I hear you on that, that customers or the people who are filling in the survey may not even understand what they are doing uh, when they are answering that response. It's never, it's never really objective. It's always subjective. They could have a bad day, plus they had a specific, very annoying feature on the product, and then they survey, and then you try to create insights on your customer support or on your product from that survey, and, and I don't think it's right. I definitely don't think that you should, don't feel that you should count only uh, or use only NPS to decide anything. I think a lot of companies do NPS because they think, they heard that it's something that they have to do and they don't try really trying to understand what they're trying to get out of it. So I'm doing an NPS because I read in a blog that doing NPS is important and then I get the scores. I never use it. I don't know exactly what to use it. <laughs> I've, as a customer support manager, the way that I've developed in order to understand the quality of my service and, and the quality of the service that I provide. So what I do, I take I, I take NPS, I use that, but I don't use it alone. I take NPS plus CSAT, plus I try to create a few groups of customers and interview them once a month. And then, and then I take these three measuring tools, uh, the interviews plus the NPS plus the CSAT, and I try to get an understanding of where I am as a service and monitor it. But I still think that we as, a, as an industry of customer support, still missing a metric or a system to really measure how customers feel about the service we pull. Got it. Uh, David, changing gears a little bit, can you mm -hmm. share some of the best practices and innovations that you have followed in support? And I heard you say, say earlier about using the data platforms to mm -hmm. understand what your customers are doing. And uh, are there any specific things that you can share with the audience? I think that 
it's very important to provide the reps all the tools and all the information that you have in, in the company and making sure that your reps know everything. One of the worst things that can happen is that a customer support agent gets a question about the product, about the marketing campaign, about pricing, and that's the first time they heard about that specific change. So I think use all the tools that you have in order to provide your customer support agents access into all the information, all the marketing campaigns, product changes. Everything starts from your customer's support rep. Cool. Could you tell us what's a, a next generation support would look like? And I'm talking maybe let's say an NPS 100, which is the maximum score support organization. Would yeah. So, and I talked talk with that a lot of with my, with my colleagues and support managers in other companies. I really feel that uh, customer support and customer service has been uh, stuck in terms of innovation for, for a, lot, a lot of years. It hasn't changed enough and it hasn't been updated enough to what we have today. If you look at customer support today and customer support 10 years ago, they are very, very similar. And I think next-gen support is putting your customer service reps in the center making sure that they have all the tools that they need in order to understand your customers, understand your customer expectations, what your customers need, what the customers want, and provide them the tools to exceed those customer expectations. I think if you look more on the qualitative metrics and try to focus less on chatbots, automations, and everything that says, we can do it faster and improve the quantity. And if you try to improve the quality, then you would get a new generation of support that is highly motivated, wants to do the job, understands what they need to do in order to provide great service. And it's a win-win situation. You have happy employees and you have happy customers. Awesome. So on that note, that brings us uh, to the end of this podcast, David. Thanks again for taking our time to speak with us. Thank uh, you, Sandeep. It was a very, it was a pleasure.